Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's an amazing account of the crucifixion. We can be grateful to Luke for it being there because he's the only one who includes this dialogue between Jesus and the other criminal, the one who saw something special. And I want us to think about that together this morning. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that your word is truth and in your truth there is life and love. And I pray this morning that you would meet us in power, that we would understand more of who Jesus is what he came to do, and how safe and secure our lives can be in his mighty and loving hands. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. One of the things you might do at the end of this service is go downstairs, have refreshments, and talk to folks here, um, maybe even ones you don't know. There are visitors here this morning, and I guess if you do, a question you might ask early on is, what do you do? Or if you suspect they may be retired, what did you do, if you're willing to take that risk, and find out about their life? Um, when I introduce myself and I say I'm a pastor, most people just look baffled. Most people ask, is that full time? Are you still teaching? It's almost like, how would you possibly fill your week? You know, you, you have to work on a Sunday, but hey, there's six other days. What do you do? Well, let me give you a little um, insight into the best part of my job that you don't get to see. I get to walk with people through the best and the worst days of their lives. In a family the size of ours, it happens pretty much every week something really good will happen to someone and I pick up the phone and a baby's been born and it's a great moment when I get those calls I'm looking that way this morning because I've not yet seen all the babies in this church it's a lovely moment 
I love those days. I love those days where people get engaged or they get a new job or we've been praying about something and something incredible happens and there's a breakthrough in their lives. I love the moments when people are healed. I love the moments where people are set free from things they've been struggling with. I love it. But then there are the other calls, the ones that sometimes come late at night. They tell me someone's been taken sick someone is seriously unwell that some disaster has befallen a family someone's been betrayed and i feel those moments and part of being family part of being one united by the blood of christ in this place as we walk through those days together we share one another's joys and we feel one another's sorrows and in this passage we have here this morning what we see are three men going through the very worst days of their life two other men both criminals were also led out with jesus to be executed when they came to the place that called the skull they crucified jesus there along with the criminals one on his right the other on his left now, the Bible doesn't elaborate and didn't need to to the people it was written to about crucifixion. It wouldn't be banned for about another 500 years. All the people at that time would have seen crucifixions. For us, they're a bit of a mystery. In fact, in a way, because the Christian symbol is the cross, the horror of it is largely lost on us. It was a shame on our culture. People wanted to be honored and they feared bringing shame on themselves and their family. And crucifixion was set up to shame the person put on the cross. It was designed to be utterly humiliating. It was reserved for criminals and foreigners. Romans themselves didn't really talk about crucifixion in polite company. I read this week, it created a debate about 200 years after Jesus in the Senate where one slave killed their master. There were 400 slaves connected to the one. And the debate was, was it right to crucify all 400 because of what one had done? The Senate debated it and decided, yes, it was. 400 would be crucified from that slave's family as an example to all the rest, not to ever rebel against Rome. When people were crucified, it was a way of controlling everyone else. It was a way of saying, you never want to be like this guy. You never want that to befall your family or your friends. And so they utterly humiliated those who were killed on the cross. Christ died naked. He died covered in his own filth. He died alone, hoisted up, without any compassion being shown to him as you see here. He was mocked. Everyone who saw him mocked him for claiming to be a king when there he was on a cross. And what I want us to see this morning is simply this. What is it that other criminals saw 
that so many of us also miss. You may be here this morning, you don't know Jesus as this man did. And I just want you to see this morning, what did he say about Jesus and what does that mean for us? What did he see about himself and what does that mean for us? So let's begin with that. One of the other criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He was just like all the rest who passed by. The people, the chief priests, the soldiers all mocked Jesus and this criminal joined in. In fact, the other gospel writers tell us both did. Either side, they were having a go at Jesus. There was someone there who was worse off than them. Someone else who was the focus for attention, taking the attention off them. Someone who seemed to be worse because he claimed to be a king and yet he appeared now to be nothing. And yet, at some point, the other criminal rebukes him and says, don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. What did this man see? Three things. Let's do them in reverse. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Who is it that has a kingdom? Well, it's only a king, isn't it? Thanks, Ray. It's only a king. No one else has a kingdom. And so where others saw a man being shamed, a man being humiliated, a man covered from head to foot in his own blood, in this moment, this criminal recognized his majesty. He recognized Jesus as his king, the one with power, the one with authority. In an incredible moment where it seemed Jesus had no power, no authority, no glory, only shame. This man says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When your kingly power is seen, let me be numbered among your people. He saw the king. He also saw Jesus as something very special indeed. I think twice here he speaks better than he knows. Verse 40 says, but the other criminal rebuked him saying, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. I think what he meant in that moment was to rebuke the other criminal because he was saying, why are you having a pop at this guy when we're all in the same boat? But do you see how he spoke better than he knew? Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? You see, when we hear those words, we know he spoke better than he knew. Because indeed, he should fear God because next to him was God Almighty. Experiencing the same sentence of death as the two men either side of him. When you understand who the God of the Bible is, when you have any inkling of his power and authority and his might and his majesty and his glory, it is incredible 
that the God who made all things would come and die as one of us on a cross. This thief recognized Jesus as the king, and in his words, we can recognize Jesus as God Almighty, dying on a cross, our maker becoming a human being to die as one of us, God Almighty on the cross. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. The third thing he recognized, the king who is God. But this man has done nothing wrong. Again, I think he spoke better than he knew. I think he could see, maybe as Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, that this was not an ordinary man that this was no rebel leader, that there was no crowd of armed men, that something was very wrong here. There was a, an act of gross injustice. But again, he spoke better than he knew, didn't he? Not only was this man God dying on a cross, but this man had done nothing wrong. Not just nothing deserving of death, not just nothing deserving of crucifixion. This man had never done anything wrong. Never, ever. The Bible says Jesus had always loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Bible says that God had always loved his neighbor as he loved himself. In fact, he sacrificed his own interests again and again and again for the good of others. Wherever there was need, Jesus met that need. Wherever there was sickness, Jesus came and he healed. There were those who were broken in 101 different ways, and Jesus poured out his life in love for those people. Never, ever did he do anything wrong. Jesus is the king. Jesus is God almighty. Jesus is perfect humanity, the one who does nothing wrong. And he dies on a cross. Dies on a cross for people like you, and for people like me. Because not only did this thief recognize those things about Jesus, but he says something profound about himself. You see, in this story, most people think they're better than Jesus. Why wouldn't you? There's a man on a cross. It's the worst and lowest form of punishment. It's a sign of disgrace. Romans um, uh, imposed it on the people they conquered to keep them under control and to show that they were in charge. Jesus is no king. Caesar is king, and that's why Jesus is on the cross. But for the Jews, it was another disgrace too, because in their law were written these words, cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. Cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. And there's Jesus hoisted up upon a cross. And so not only is he under the punishment of Rome, as the Jews around the cross look at him, they see that here is a man also under the punishment of God Almighty. A man who is cursed. Everyone there thinks they're better than Jesus. And so many today think they don't need him, that he has nothing to offer. 
that he's nobody. And whether or not they mock him, whether or not they mock Christians, so many think they're better than he is, that they don't need him. But within this story, there's one who recognizes something profound about himself. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. We're getting punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. It is very difficult to get a criminal to admit to those sorts of things. Some of you in here work in the police. I used to be the police chaplain up the road. And the stories you're told are very rarely of criminals who said, that's a fair cop. Whatever it was, they didn't do it, wasn't their fault. Nearly always excuse after excuse after excuse. And yet you look at this man. He's enduring the worst punishment the Romans could inflict. We don't know exactly what he did. But in that moment, he owns it. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. You know, you can't follow Jesus until you own the fact that you are owed nothing by God except his punishment and his wrath for the things that you have said and thought and done that fall short of his glory. The Bible says for all of us, the wages of sin, what we deserve is death. We find that very hard to believe. We want to believe we're the good guys. We want to believe that God owes us. We want to believe that the good we do will somehow outweigh the bad. But the Bible says that simply isn't true. In our heart of hearts, all those things that we do that put ourselves before God and ourselves before others would cut us off from him eternally, were it not for Jesus. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift, the gift of grace is eternal life through the cross of Christ. And the amazing thing is because of that, because of that amazing moment, Jesus substitutes himself for us. Dan read it already this morning. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was punished for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him so that by his stripes we might be healed. Healed in a much deeper way than just physically, actually made new within and fitted out for an eternal life with the God who loved us that much. The amazing thing about the cross is it's a day of transformation. I wonder, do you recognize who Jesus is and do you see who you are? You see, if you've really seen him, then when the worst days come, you find you're still standing on solid rock. Two weeks ago, I got one of those phone calls you don't want to get. I got a phone call from Mandy, Chris's, 
Chris Williams' sister, to say he'd had a huge stroke. She'd gone up at nine the night before, taken him a cup of tea, and gone in the next morning and found him completely unconscious. She had no idea when in the night he'd had a stroke. She called the ambulance, they took him in. And his life very much hung in the balance. And she loves Chris. There's not a lot left in her family except her brother. But in that moment, she said to me, I either would like him to be completely healed or I'd like him to go home to glory. And in that moment, I realized again that on the worst of days, when the thing that you least want to imagine is in front of your eyes, when someone you love is seriously ill, if their life is in Jesus' hands, if they're forgiven, if they're covered by his blood and his grace, then there's no safer place to be. The very worst days of our lives can be transformed into the very best. In a way, there's no other way into the kingdom. We none of us come in with our heads held high and say, Jesus, you owe me, give me eternal life. We come in with our heads bowed. We come in conscious of our sin, our lovelessness towards God, the damage our lives do to others, the times we've shamed ourselves. And the amazing wonder of grace is, in those moments, Jesus stoops down with the hands still nail-pierced, with a heart as full of love as it ever was. And God demonstrates his love for you, that while you were still a sinner, on your very worst day, Christ died for you. And the amazing freedom in that is this, no matter how badly things go in the future for you, no matter how things go in terms of your own sin and failure, there is no power in all creation that can separate you from his redeeming love. And when your time comes, and the end of your life draws near, you'll be able to say with this thief, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you'll know that great assurance that man did. Where Jesus says to you, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Even on that final day, death will have no hold on you because Christ died your death for you. And the comfort that will bring, not just to your own heart, but to those around that bed, to those in that place, to those in the funeral that will follow, will transform what would have been one of the worst days into their life into something glorious, something wonderful, 
because through the death of Jesus and his resurrection, which we'll come to on Sunday, death is no longer the end. Death's the door to paradise. Brothers and sisters who love Jesus here this morning, let's not forget what sin cost Jesus. How much it costs for you to be forgiven. We often trivialize sin and think it doesn't matter. We often think if no one sees and no one knows, it doesn't matter. It matters. Even if no one else knows, Jesus went to the cross for that moment. It matters. And let's live instead on the freedom that Christ won for us. He went through the cross so that we might be transformed on our worst days, changed into the best of days, a life lived under the cross, in the place of forgiveness, the place of grace, the place of hope, the place where Jesus reigns as my God and my King. And we pray. Father God, we thank you for the amazing truths that are revealed at the heart of the cross. The depths of our sin are on full display as the only one good enough dies in our place. But also the depths of your love. Oh Lord, what love is this that pays so freely that I, the guilty one, may go free. We thank you for the great exchange of the cross where the perfect man, the perfect son of God, laid down his life that we might be forgiven and that we might live. Father, I pray for any here today who don't know that story, whose lives aren't yet in that place. Father, I pray even this morning they would turn to Christ and in their hearts acknowledge him as Lord and King, as their Saviour as the one who died on the cross for them. Lord, help each of us to lay our own sin at the foot of your cross, to receive your forgiveness and to walk in your grace. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.